0: of you tonight are thankful for the love of God, Amen. without His amazing matchless love, then we have no hope, without His love, um, then the only hope we have is hell, because He loved us, because He's shown us grace, because He's shown us mercy, we've missed hell and gained heaven, can you say me? We've been brought from deadness to life. I'm so very thankful for that this evening. Thank you for that song. That's one of, uh, certainly one of my favorites. It never, never grow grow weary of, uh, of that song. I'm so thankful for it. Take your Bibles tonight. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter number nine. Or excuse me, chapter number ten. Excuse me, chapter number eight. Y'all pray for me. I don't know. If I was looking at nine, then I flipped it the wrong way and looked at ten. But we're really in chapter number eight, all right? That's where we'll be at this evening. And uh, we'll get there in just a minute. And I want to praise the Lord uh, for all of you being here tonight and taking the study of the, of the Word of God seriously and making that a priority in your life. Thank you for that. Uh, I know there's a lot of other places that you could be this evening. but I want to thank you for being here. And because I believe with all my heart God has something for you. God has something for all of us when we come ready to receive it. That's how good He is. That's how loving He is. Um, He's not hiding from us. He wants to give us exactly what we need when we need it. And so thank you for for being here tonight. I want to give you um, just some advice as your pastor. And and one thing that I want to tell you, or really two things that I want to tell you. Always make the worship of God a priority in your life. Always. Always do that. Now, why do we do that? Brother Nathan um, did our... Devotion Sunday morning before service, and he read one of my favorite scriptures, Psalm one hundred and four, when it says that we enter into His courts with thanksgiving. Now, what does that verse really mean? What's it saying to us there? What it's saying is we enter into the presence of God through worship, through praise. He said, "Roswell, does that mean that we're not always in the presence of God?" Well, no, that's not what it means at all, folks. How many of you understand that as a believer, as a cross follower? that um, God dwells within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. So His presence is always with us. Can you say it And the Bible teaches that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. No matter where we go, He's already there. So certainly God's presence as a believer is within us and God's presence is around us. But I'm telling you, when you enter into His courts, when you come into His place, And you come in with a heart of worship. And you come in with a heart of thanksgiving. God God does something in in corporate worship that he don't do anywhere else. It's a special time. It's a special place. And God, listen to me now, awakens us to his presence uh, like nowhere else. And so I want to encourage you. Make the worship of God a priority in your life. But not only that, make the study of God's word a priority in your life. Amen? Amen? Why do we do it? Why do we study the Word of God? Well, folks, how did you know the one who created life, the one who has created you, has given us truth that tells us how life is to be best lived? Not only does it tell us about life here on this earth, but it also tells us about eternal life that we can experience through faith in Christ that's just that eternal, where we will live with Him forever. And listen to me now, he gives us this truth as a good father. One of my favorite worship songs, I can't remember who sings it, uh, was it Crowder who sang He's a Good, Good Father? Yeah, one of my favorite songs, man. That's exactly who He is. And as a good father, He's always going to give you what will help you. And He's given you that in His Word. So I want to encourage you, make the the worship of God a priority in your life, but also make the study of God's Word a priority in your life. And listen, when you enter into God's presence and you get a hold of God's truth, that's what truly changes us to become what God wants us to be. Can you say amen? It's the presence of God coupled with the power of God's holy word that helps us become what we've we've been saved to be. And so make the worship of God and the study of the word of God a part of your life. That's what we do every time we come together in corporate services just like this. So I want to ask you, I want to encourage you, stay plugged in and stay faithful to that, man, because God's got something for you. You know, there's a verse that I want to give you tonight. I'm not going to... I'll really preach on, on it, but man, it's just one of those verses that God has given me um, in, the, in the last few weeks that's just been rolling around upstairs and I'm, and I'm hoping and praying that He lets me preach on it sometime, but it's, it's Luke 12, 52, and it says Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom I love that verse, it starts off with some instruction that we all need, fear not Don't be afraid because it makes God happy. It's his good pleasure to do what? Give you and I his kingdom. What the word of God is truly all about, folks, is how we can be a part of the kingdom of God and what that means for us. So, man, stay plugged in to the worship of God and the study of his word. It's vitally important for each and every one of us, and that's what we're going to do this evening. That's what we've already done um, right here in uh, in these first few minutes with our worship and and getting into the truth of the Word of God. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter number eight, and we're just going to dig a little deeper about from where we started last time we were here. I think we were together two weeks ago, and we started the the book of, or excuse me, the chapter chapter number eight of the book of Hebrews. And folks, I, I believe all of God's Word. To be just that, God's absolute truth, His Word. If you believe that, say amen. amen. And all of the Word of God is important. Please don't misunderstand me. But there are certain uh, books of God's Word that are just special to me. You know, as a pastor, as a preacher, as I preach through the Word of God, there's certain books, man, that I just truly enjoy spending time in. I love the book of Romans. We went through the book of Romans here um, in our Wednesday Night Bible study. I love the book of Ephesians. And that's such a powerful book. But man, Hebrews is right up there to me with Romans and with the book of Ephesians. And chapter number eight is one of those chapters in Hebrews that really sticks out. Because Hebrews chapter eight, it hits you right where you live. Now, I don't know about you this evening, but I'm thankful that we have a living word. Which means, listen to me now, God's word is real real. And God's Word is relevant. And God's Word is ready to make a difference in your life today when you choose to apply it to your life. And when we choose to apply what we find on the pages of Scripture right here in Hebrews chapter 8. Listen, it'll change us on a Wednesday night in church, but it'll also change us on a Thursday morning at work. It'll change us on a Sunday morning. In church service, but it also changes in our home on Sunday evening. What I'm trying to say is, when you really get a hold of the truth of what God is speaking to us right here, it'll make a difference in every area of your life. That's what I want. That's what I need. Whether you know it or not, that's what you need. You know, we were talking just this week, me and some, some men at my workplace, about the difference in motivation and discipline. There's a big difference. I'm not against motivation. But if all I do is give a motivational talk on Sunday morning, that's not going to do you a whole lot of good. Motivation comes and goes. Doesn't it? Really because it's based upon feelings. Now, Zig Ziglar is one of my favorite... um, I don't know if he was an author, but he was also vice president of the Southern Baptist Convention at one time. But Zig Ziglar always said... Motivation doesn't last. Uh, but some people say motivation is no good because it doesn't last. He said a bath doesn't last either, but we do it every day. <laughs> we need it every day. Or that's why we need it every day. And, and, so, and, and that certainly is somewhat true of motivation. Motivation is not a bad thing. I'm not saying that. But what we really want is discipline. Discipline, consistency of doing what God tells us to do daily, whether we feel like it or not. Amen. I talk to you a lot about when you come when we come here to worship. You know, that's what we come here to do. That's our purpose. Now you say, well, I just don't feel like it, man. I've had this go on, I've had that go on. Folks, what does your feelings have to do with it? What is my feelings? Whether I feel like it or not, God is still worthy. Can you say amen? Still worthy. And if we wait till we feel like serving the Lord and worshiping the Lord, Before we do that, then I promise you, we're going to miss out on a whole lot of opportunities to worship God for He is worthy. And to serve God, which will make a difference in our life and the lives of others. And actually fulfill His purpose for us. So we need more than just motivation. We've got to get some discipline to actually apply what God's Word is saying. And I'm telling you, if we discipline ourselves as disciples. (laughs) Amen. I can pro- Disciples are those who put into practice the teachings of Jesus and actually follow Him. We discipline ourselves daily to follow the Lord. And if we'll do that, according to Hebrews chapter 8, I promise you it'll make a difference in every year of your life. What is Hebrews 8? Let's, let's catch everybody up. Let's all get on the same page. First of all, we found out... The writer, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is teaching us in the eighth chapter of Hebrews about the difference in the old covenant and the new covenant, and how that the new covenant is much better than the old covenant. Now, the old covenant came by Moses, and it was uh, it, it was um, actually instituted among the Jewish people uh, by the law that, that Moses uh, was gave to the people when he himself received it from God. On Mount Sinai. That's the Old Covenant. It's based upon, or excuse me, uh, yeah, it's really based upon works of the law for us to actually benefit from that, or for them to actually benefit from that. The New Covenant came because of the finished work of Christ, and the New Covenant is, listen to me now, instituted by grace. And that's why it's so much better. And he tells us why that's true and and how all that works. Well, let's define our terms just a little bit because I want to make sure um, that that we're all understanding what 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 the Bible is saying here. When the Bible says covenant, what's it actually talking about? A promise. a promise or an agreement? All right, it's an agreement between two parties. Okay, and listen to me now. When we got saved, when we chose to place Faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sin. There's there's a lot of amazing things that happen. And we talk about this a lot for a reason. Because I want to get this nailed down in our hearts and minds. Folks, how many of you know, when you trust in Jesus by faith, the Bible teaches, you are born again into God's family. Somebody say amen. <laughs> Romans 8.15 We have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry what? Abba Father or Daddy God. Now we have this close personal relationship with God, the Creator, who's not just Creator, but He's Daddy. We we can come to Him. Anytime we stand in need, the Bible told us in Hebrews 4.16 that we can come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in our time of need. Why? Because we're coming before Daddy God. Daddy... Because we have this personal relationship with Him. Father, because He is able, as creator of the universe, to do what's necessary and needful in our life. Abba, Father. Daddy God. We are born again into His family. You need to realize tonight that if you are here and you've placed faith in Jesus as Savior... You are the adopted son and daughter, son or daughter of, of Almighty God. What an amazing truth. And you've been afforded all the rights and privileges that comes with that. Heirs to God, you are heirs with Jesus. but not only are we born again into His family, but the Bible also teaches 1 Corinthians 12:13 that we are made a part of His church. The Bible says that we are baptized into His body or His church by the Holy Spirit. And so you need to understand, folks, a lot of amazing things happened. You're made a part of God's family. You're put into God's church. And I want you to know, this covenant describes for us what it means to be a part of the family of God. What rights and privileges come, up, come along with that. But also, it, it, this covenant describes for us what it means to be a part of the church of God. And what our responsibilities are and duties are as far as that goes. That's what this covenant is all about. This agreement that we have entered into with God himself. We've entered into covenant relationship with God. Not only have we been born again into his family. Not only have we been, listen to me now, put up, made a part of his church. But we've entered into covenant relationship. That's a powerful thing. Years ago, I bought a, uh, a truck from a dealership up in Florence when the new Tundras first came out. And this one that I bought was uh, a few years old. And uh, when I bought the truck, I actually bought an extended warranty to go along with it because the guy that that sold me the truck, he was um, insisted on me buying the extended warranty and telling me how good it was and what all it would do. And I just took him took his word for it and bought the extended warranty with the truck when I bought it. And, and, and man, I drove that thing for two or three years there and started having some problems with it. Between oil changes, it was using, I don't know, a quart and a half, two quarts of oil. And uh, I didn't know what was going on, so I took it back to the dealership, back to where I bought it and bought the warranty. Told the serviceman what was going on there. And he looked up my warranty, and and, and later on that day called me and said, look, man, we can't help you with this today. We're not going to be able to do it. I said, why? It's under warranty, isn't it? He said, yeah, it's under warranty. He said, but your warranty states that, um, that, uh, if you don't get your oil changed at the dealership every time and have record of that, then it voids your warranty. Well, nobody told me that when I bought the warranty. It was That was all in the fine print. And guess what? I didn't read the warranty. So I didn't know what agreement I'd entered into. And, and listen to me, folks. I learned something very valuable that day. A warranty is only as good as the person you make it with. You hear me? It really is. Very important that we always remember that. Not just in the physical settings of uh, what we do day by day, but but certainly we need to remember this spiritually speaking. When we entered into this covenant, this agreement with God, that's a very amazing, powerful, wonderful thing because we can trust that God is always going to keep up his end of the bargain. He's always going to do what he says. He's going to do. Now, one of the ways that I could have uh, certainly benefited from the war or at least knew what I'd get into, if I had read the agreement for myself. And that's what we're trying to do tonight in Hebrews 8 and the rest of the book of Hebrews. Is I want you to read for yourself about what you've actually entered into as a born-again child of God. Who is a part of the church of the living God? What your rights and privileges are as a son or daughter, but also what your responsibilities are as a member of his church. That's what the covenant gives us. This covenant, this agreement that we've entered into with God himself. Let me give you a good verse Psalm, uh, chapter, let's see, Psalm, uh, I won't misquote it. Let me look it up here. Psalm 36 and verse number 5. Look what the Bible says there. Psalm 36, verse 5. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds. If you believe it, say this evening. Amen. Now what does that mean that God's faithfulness reaches to the clouds? Well, that just simply means He's always going to do exactly what He has promised. And we, He's got a good track record too. We can look back and, and check Him out. How do you know when God made the covenant uh, with Noah, with rainbow? He's kept good on that promise. Hadn't he? You remember what happened? Genesis chapter 6. The Bible says that the thoughts and intents of man's heart was upon evil continually. God got sick of it and, and, and finally destroyed the whole earth except for one, one man and his family um, with a great flood. But after the flood uh, waters had uh, receded, then God made a promise to Noah and his family, which were, uh, which were the new beginning of, of the human race. And he said, look, i am never again going to destroy the earth with a flood. I'm going to put this rainbow in the sky to let you know that's not going to happen. Now what burns me up is that uh, the uh, homosexual community, the LBGTQ whatever community, whatever the new letters are today, I don't know exactly all of them, but they've they actually stolen a symbol of God's promise um, and, and are actually making a mockery of it before the Lord and before everybody else in being disobedient Um, And the story that that we were given, it was because of man's disobedience that God destroyed the whole earth to begin with. But uh, it's amazing how all of that is going on, but that kind of irks me a little bit. But every time we see the rainbow, the rainbow is there to remind us God keeps his promise. God not only kept his promise to Noah, but he kept his promise to Abraham. You remember Genesis chapter 12? God said, Abraham, I want you to leave your father's house and to go where I'm going to tell you and I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey and I'm going to make your descendants as the sands on the seashore and the stars in the heaven and it's through you, Abraham, that all the nations of the earth is going to be blessed. And he goes on to say, I'm going to bless those who bless you and I'm going to curse those who curse you. How many of you know God made good on that promise? He certainly caused Abraham's descendants to be very many. Not just those who were born of his physical lineage, but certainly those who were born of his spiritual lineage, the people of faith. How many of you know that if you're here tonight and you place faith in Christ? You're a child of Abraham, according to what the Word of God teaches. And so truly his descendants have been made as the sands of the seashore, the stars of the heaven. How many of you know the whole earth was certainly blessed? Through Abraham, because it was through the physical lineage of Abraham that Jesus was born into this world as the son of God and God, the son incarnate in the flesh. And so God made good on his promise to Abraham. And when he said, I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. He's made good on that promise. If You don't believe me. Ask the Babylonians. They cursed the nation of Israel. And they paid for it as the Philistines, the Amalekites. They cursed the nation of Israel and they paid for it as the Syrians. They cursed the nation of Israel and they paid for it. There is no longer a Babylonian empire. There is no longer a Persian or the the Syrian empire. But folks, there's still a nation of Israel. If you don't believe me that God blesses those who blesses Israel and curses those who curse, just ask Hitler. He came against the nation of Israel, and you see what's happened to him. If you don't believe me, God blesses those who blesses Israel and curses those who curses Israel. Pick up a history book and read about the Six Day War in 1967. That'll blow your mind. It's amazing what God did. God did exactly what He had promised and brought His people back to their land. In 1948, and gave them the land of Israel that had always been there since he promised it to Abraham. Amen? All of that goes back to the Abrahamic covenant that God is still keeping today, still keeping his promise. But in in 1967, a lot of the nations that surrounded Israel, and all of them hate them, they're right there in the middle of people who hate them on every corner. Several of them came against Israel and were going to destroy it. And they had the the manpower and the technology to do it. Um, And Israel really didn't have a whole lot of anything in 1967 as far as the military was concerned. But if you go back and read, you'll find out that God actually used honeybees. Check it out for yourself. God actually used honeybees to defeat the armies that were invading Israel. Swarms of bees started biting these people who were coming in with their machine guns. They threw their guns down and left, and the armies of Israel went and picked their guns up and defended their country. Read for yourself. How does that happen? Is that coincidence? No. It's God keeping His promise that He made with Abraham almost 6,000 years ago. You can trust what God says. And let me give you a great verse. A verse that applies to you and a verse that applies to me. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 20. Watch what the scripture tells us there. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For all the promises of God. Everybody say "all all the promises. For all the promises of God in Him, in Christ, are yea and amen unto the glory of God by us. Are you seeing it? When you are in Christ, you are made partakers of all Christ is, all Christ has said, and all Christ has promised. You hear me? What's that mean for you? That means you can claim Hebrews thirteen five when it says He'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Isn't that good news? That means you can claim Philippians 1.6 when it says that he will perform that which he began until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means you can believe Philippians 4.19 when it says he shall supply all our needs according to his riches and glory. That means you can claim what the Bible says when it says He is, as our Heavenly Father, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. That means you can claim when it says He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. That means you can claim when it says He is Jehovah Sidkenu that He is our righteousness. That means you can claim that He is Jehovah Nisi that the Lord is our banner and goes before us in the battle. All of these promises that are based upon His character and His person we can claim. Why? Because we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And now all these promises are made real to you and real to me all because of Jesus. Isn't that good news? Blesses my heart. I'm thankful that I can trust Him. I'm thankful that the agreement I've entered into is strong because the one I made it with is strong. Now, Hebrews chapter 8, the first two verses there teach us that this is a better covenant because it has a better high priest. And then verses 3 and verse number 4 teaches us It's a better covenant because it's ministered in a better place. It's actually ministered uh, to us and for us in the heavenlies, in the original tabernacle. The tabernacle, verse five says, of which the, the tabernacle of Moses was patterned after so it's, it's a better covenant because of a better high priest. It's a better covenant because it was, it's ministered in a better place. But it's also, this new covenant is a better covenant because it's based upon better promises. And that's where we come to in verse number 6. Look what it says. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, meaning Jesus, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which is established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had not been faultless, then, she, then there should be no place have been sought for the second. So what he's saying is, if the first covenant could do for us all that we need, needed doing and all that God wanted to do, then there would have been no need for the second covenant. But because the first covenant was lacking in certain areas, there had to be a second covenant. What does that mean? What does that mean for us? What does it mean that it's this new covenant, this new agreement that we have with the Lord has better promises? Do you realize the old covenant provided God's standard for living for His holiness? What He truly wanted. But the old covenant, listen to me now, did not provide the power that was needed for us to actually walk in obedience. It didn't. See, in the old covenant, Uh, Under the Old Covenant in the Old Testament, not every believer had the Holy Spirit living within them. There were times that the Holy Spirit would come upon a person. We see that all throughout the Old Testament. You see it with David. You see it with Samuel. You see it um, uh, with with, uh, Daniel. You see it with all these great men and women of God throughout the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit of God would come upon them. And God would use them for a season. It was like He would come upon them to do a certain task. And then they would not have the the anointing anymore. But how do you know? Now that we are under the new covenant. The Holy Spirit of God is a reality for every believer. It indwells. He indwells. Not it. But He indwells every believer. Therefore, He gives us the power to be obedient to what God is actually told us to do. He gives us the power to actually be what we've been saved to be. That's where the old covenant was lacking. It gave you the standard of what God wanted, but didn't give you the power to perform it. I've told you before that when we are born again, we receive a new divine nature. Right? That comes... At the moment of conversion for every believer, that's why I tell you folks, if you have never truly been changed, your attitude hasn't changed, your actions haven't changed, Then, according to the truth of God's word, then you've never truly been saved. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it plainly. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a what? New creation. creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. There will be a change when a man, woman, boy, or girl truly accepts Christ as Savior and is indwelled by the Holy Spirit. You receive a divine nature that changes how you think. That therefore changes how you act. Now are you going to be perfect? No. Nope. Again, there's a lot of people who think they're perfect. They'll bless your heart. You'll see some of them. You'll deal with some of them. We all still need grace each and every day. We all still need God's help each and every day. But I'm telling you. God will give you a divine nature that will bring about change in your life. You will then have a desire for the things of God. Let me give you a good verse. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Watch what this says. 2 Peter 1. Verse number one, summon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. He said, For everybody's been saved. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse three, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us. To glory and virtue. Look at verse four. What's this? Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of what? Divine nature. Divine nature. <laughs> Having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. You see it. He's saying that when you place faith in Jesus. He received a new nature. Man, when I got serious with Jesus, and He got serious with me. I'll tell you what happened to me. I started loving people I didn't used to love. I don't know my people wasn't even supposed to love. People who had done me wrong. Let me tell you something else I did. People that I had did wrong in the past. Man, that started bothering me. And I was like, I got I to make this right. <laughs> I remember, man, When I was uh, 16, 17 year old, my first job was cooking chicken at Kentucky Fried Chicken. And um, I, I ate a whole lot more chicken than I paid for. Whole lot more. And then what we would do every night, if we ate something, you were supposed to make out a meal ticket. And um, so I wrote down what I ate for lunch every night sometimes. And then um, when I quit KFC, the deal was you need to pay off that meal ticket before you leave. Guess what I did? I quit never paid that meal ticket. I just left. Man, after I got right with the Lord, I was at KFC. And James Dodd was in there. And it was the Lord convicted my heart. I got thinking about it. I did that man dirty. You know, here I am. Eat all this chicken. Never paid for it. Didn't write. I wrote down only half of what I ate to begin with, and then when I left, I just left him with all that bill, never even paid it. And I went up to him and I said, uh, "Mr. Dodd, I'll tell you something. You know, years ago, I left you, quit you, never paid my meal ticket, and I know it was way over hundred dollars. And I'd be glad to pay that now if you'll let me." And he looked at me like I was crazy, just busted out laughing. He said, "Are you crazy?" I said, oh, "No, I, I. That's got to feel bad about that, man. I should have paid that ticket." He said, "Dude, get out of here. <laughs> Pay for no. He let me go on the mail ticket. But I just say it. That may seem funny to you, but man, after I got right with the Lord, things like that start happening. Hey, it started bothering me. Different things that I knew I had done, and different things that I failed in daily. Why? A new nature. It didn't bother me before. It took me to death that I was getting over on Mr. Duck. It took me to death that I was eating all the chicken I wanted and not paying for. You understand what I'm saying? But when you get a new nature, things change. There's a difference. Because when you get a new nature, guess what else happens? You get a new desire. With the divine nature comes a desire to please God. Amen? Now, without without the new nature, you're never really going to have a desire to please God. Now, you'll try to, in your own ability and um, power, do what you think you need to do or what people expect of you. But do you really desire the things of God? You need to ask yourself this question. Why do you come to church? Is it because that's what's expected of you? Or do you really desire something? Are you desiring to hear from the Lord? Are you desiring to feast upon truth? Are you desiring to truly give Him praise because you know He's worthy? Is there really a desire? Because if there's not really a desire for the things of God, then you've got to ask yourself, do I really have a divine nature? These are things we've got to work out on our own. I'll be honest, folks. I, comes a time when you can't beg people enough to get them to church. Now I'm going to encourage folks to come. I'm going to ask them to come. I'm gonna tell them how much we'd love to have them. But if I get up in the pulpit every, believe me, I've tried this before, but if I get up in the pulpit every Sunday and I harp on come to church and how it's wrong for you not to be here, you know what I found out? If people do come, they're coming so the preacher will shut up. Or because they feel a certain obligation to. But are they really coming because they desire it? So I've not come to a place where I think, you know what? Only God can give that desire. I can encourage. I can love. But until you have a real desire to serve God, follow Him, do what He wants, nobody else can change that. And that desire comes with the divine nature. Can you say amen? Divine nature leads to a desire to please God. That happens with the new covenant. Through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we then have the power to walk in obedience before the Lord in this world. That's why it's so much better. Let's go on. Look what else he says. Not only do we have this promise of, uh, of the power needed to do what God actually Wants us to do. But also he gives us the promise. Of forgiveness. Look, look at verse number 11. Chapter number 8 there. Let's just go back though. Before we go further. Let's just read 8 through 11. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day, when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people." And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall show me from the least to the greatest. So what's the Bible telling us here? He's telling us in verse number 11 um, that he's able to forgive where we need forgiveness. And the old covenant could never do that. Was never able to do that. Was never meant to do that. Look at verse number 12. Let's go on. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities what I remember no more. Now, the old covenant could not forgive sin. As a matter of fact, you will find when we get to Hebrews chapter 10, it says under the old covenant, there was a remembrance of sins every year. All it did, if you remember, we talked about this last time we were together. Um, it covered up the sin, but it didn't take it away. Jesus was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That cleanses our sin. That truly forgives our sin. All the old covenant was doing was just pointing us to our need for a Savior who would take away our sin. Covering up that sin every year. Never took it away. There was always a remembrance. Romans chapter 3 and verse number 20, brother, if you will, put that on the screen for me. Watch what this says. Romans 3.20. Excuse me. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Now, why why couldn't we be justified by the law? Well, first of all, we couldn't keep it. Therefore, we became guilty because of it. But guess what else happens? It can't forgive us. And if we can't be forgiven, we can't be justified. It says then, therefore, by the deeds of the law, verse 20, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is what? Knowledge of sin. Knowledge of sin when we break the law, but also knowledge of sin because the law can't forgive us. Only grace can do that. Only grace can do that. So what what is the better promises that we have under this better covenant? Well, first of all, it's the promise of the power of the Holy Spirit to help us do actually what God has told us to do. That divine nature that gives us a desire to please the Lord. And also the promise of forgiveness. Look, Jesus promised when He forgives us, He'll remember it no more. Ain't that what it says? The Bible says right here, God says, look, when I forgive your sin, I'll remember it no more. Now, I've had somebody ask me, can God really forget? If God knows all things, if God is... Um, omniscient, he has all knowledge, then how can he forget? Well, I answer that question like this. God chooses not to remember. And he won't hold it against you. I'm not sure I can forget fully when someone does me wrong. But I'll tell you what I can do. I can choose not to hold it against them. And that's what God does for us. Why? Because of grace. God is so good. He'll forgive you of your sin and no longer hold it, hold it against you. He'll no longer hold that over your head. Isn't that good news? This is the new covenant. Verse 13. In that he saith a new covenant he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Now you need to understand something. God makes it extremely clear that it wasn't the fault of the covenant that caused it to uh, not do what we needed it to do. It wasn't the covenant's fault. The covenant was based upon the truth of God. As a loving father, he wanted his people uh, to be a peculiar treasure unto himself. That's what the old covenant was. It wasn't the covenant's fault. It was the people's fault because they couldn't keep it. Right? And so God, by his grace, said, you know what? I'm no longer going to put it, I'm no longer going to make it about your faithfulness. I'm going to make it about my faithfulness. It's no longer going to be about what you can do with your self-righteous works of the law. It's going to be what I can do because of my amazing grace. You remember, I think it's about Exodus Exodus 24, I believe is where it's at. About verse 3, I think. Um, Moses is speaking to the people the words of the Lord, the words of the covenant. And they all, in unison, shout back to him when he asked, will they do all that God has commanded? And they all said, we will do it. Guess what? They didn't do it. They couldn't do it. And so it's almost like God says, okay, you can't do it, but I can do it for you. And the way I'm going to do it for you is the way of grace. I'm going to send my son. He's going to keep the law perfectly, fulfilling my righteous standard. And then he's going to be the sacrifice for your sins, fulfilling my justice against sin. Amen. That's all by grace. Now, because of Jesus, we enter into that new covenant based upon much better promises. If you believe it, say it. Any comments or questions?